Um, this talk may rock the boat a little bit. And I just want to say that's, <laughs> that's not my intention. There, there are some of you that are like, come on, Daniel, do it. <laughs> but there are some controversial things in here. And I believe they're from God's word. <clears throat> but they're challenging. So I just want us to pray and ask for God's help <clears throat> before we get moving any further. We grab some water. Are you, am I just doing this instead of this? I don't think this is... A, okay. All right. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> I'm so thankful that you are here with us this weekend and that you've given us your word and your word instructs us and shows us exactly who we are and exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Your word gives us everything that pertains to godliness and life, Lord. I thank you for your word, and I thank you, Lord, that you've saved us to want to come under your word. Thank you, Lord, that death no longer has reign over us, but you are alive in us, working a desire for obedience and love. Thank you for your good, the good works that you're producing in us. Would you come now, Lord Jesus, and speak to us? And would you speak through me by your Holy Spirit and help this word to instruct your people and grow us and strengthen us as a people, especially for the singles today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me move this one away, Dale, and I'm going to just do this guy. So, family, our aim has been to cast a biblical vision for the roles of the household this weekend. And one that supersedes the ever-changing cultural messages that are concerning these roles. That, that we're constantly hearing from the world who we are, what we're supposed to be doing, and we want the Bible to come in and speak a better word. Give us the vision. An important question that has arisen throughout our time together is this. How does the household relate to the household of God? How does our family, in other words, relate to God's family? How does our family relate to God's family? And um, I, I think that Jeremy Pryor, a writer and speaker, gets this right when he says that the household, the church, sorry, is a household of households. The church is a household made up of households. Where does he get that idea? <clears throat> so 1 Timothy 3.15 just, just back up for just one second. I just first here want to remind you guys what we've been doing. Some of you just have stepped in for the very first session. I'm trying to remind you a little bit of what we've been trying to do in these sessions. So just a little bit of review here. <clears throat> in 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul calls the church the household of God. Which means that while the church is distinct from the household within it, the household has something to teach us about God's church. Indeed, much to teach us about God himself. That was very much what Sam's talk was about on fathers and mothers. In fact, Paul goes further, and he seemed to think that the health of the church will actually depend largely on the health of individual households. Of individual households. Before he describes the church as the household of God in 1 Timothy, 
he, he actually calls elders and deacons in 1 Timothy to be exemplary in managing their own households. That's verse 5 and 12. And why is this so important? Ultimately, God's reputation is on the line in these discussions. What we believe about the church, what we believe about the household. Ultimately, God's reputation is on the line in these discussions because the church is Christ's representation on earth. And if the household is, is helping us to understand the household of God, we need to get these things right. Amen. No wonder Satan is so after the family, so after the household in our nation and all around the world. Right. So we must be faithful then to God's word which defines our roles and positions in the household and the household of God. And we believe that if we are faithful in our various roles in our family, including singles as, as they relate to these things, if we are faithful, we believe that our church and our families will flourish. And further, I think that we will be resounding in praise together saying, how could God's design be any better? Sam said in the introduction earlier that just a handful of us were at that we don't want to be a kind of people that that come to God's word and these issues and say, well, I guess if I have to believe that I will. No, we want to be saying, man, God, you are so wise in your design in everything. So now we turn our attention to the topic at hand, which is the role of singles, welcome singles in the household and the household of God. Now, first, a word on who I am referring to by single. Across the United States, I was doing a little research. Singles outnumber the married in the United States at 53% of the population. That's, that's a new and growing number in the United States, according to the United States Census. Barna Group, which does a lot of church-wide census stuff, says that that number is about 25% of the church, is, is singles in the church. I, I was looking at our membership. We're, we have 87 members and 27 that are single. So about 30% of our church family is single. And though this percentage is made up primarily of the never married group, about 63% of that number in the, in the United States, I want us to remember that it is also made up of other groups, namely widowers and of the uh, divorcee. Other groups to consider in this broader category of singleness are single parents, same-sex attracted singles, and dating singles. And ultimately, what I'm trying to say is that singleness is much bigger than just the not married. And why, why, why do I take the time to mention that this, this evening? It's because oftentimes I think we can too narrowly define singleness in the church, which can lead to, on the one hand, different groups of people being overlooked or unseen in the ministry of the church. And on the other hand, I think it can lead to arrogant thinking. We are the special and unique group that people don't understand, right? I agree 
that singles can be overlooked in the church, but I also want you to remember that it's not just the unmarried who are part of this group and who are potentially overlooked, but each of these other groups as well. So I hope you feel seen, even just if if you're a part of one of, of those other categories. They exist in our church family. I hope you feel seen and known by God if you're in those categories. So I want us to keep that in mind as we continue in this topic and also as we consider ministry to our church family. Amen. Here's the big question. How or why a teaching on singles in a series on managing your household well? Well, I can tell you this. It's not because we were planning together and all of a sudden Dale goes, oh, guys, we forgot about the singles. What are we going to do? That's that's not what happened in our meetings. No, hear this. We believe that singles are an essential part of both the household and the household of God. Okay, I'm going to unpack that, but it's an essential part. And we, we would say this over and over again. So it just gets into you. No one in the body of Christ is dispensable. Not one. So here's a little bit of scope. Here's what I want to do in this talk. I'd like to try to answer two key questions, which will cover the most of our of our time together and then cover a few other important matters that build off of the answers to the first questions. And I need you to know there's no way I can go super deep in every one of these areas. It could totally take up an entire family camp or an entire week if we were to do that. But instead, I hope to provide some wisdom from a biblical and theological perspective this evening. And I've tried to be as practical as, as possible with these questions and answers. So here is the key question number one. I need some participation here. True or false? Listen to this question. Is being married and leading a family one of the high callings of a Christian? One of the highest callings of a Christian, is it? Shout it out. What do you think? True. I agree. Now listen to this one. Is being married and leading a family the highest call of a Christian? Now here's where I want your, your, your help. Go, go to each other. Why or why not? Turn to your neighbor. Give them a one-sentence answer. Why? Why or why not? Yeah, here it is. Is being married and leading, the fam- leading a family the highest call of a Christian? Why or why not? Give them a, just a one-sentence answer. All right, give me, just shout out, just one answer, anyone that's bold enough to do that, in one sentence. Alex has a word, he just got uh, designated. Okay. So he pulled out the Westminster Confession, right? Is that what? To say, no, it's not the highest call, but the highest call of a Christian is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Well, I think you're right. Here's the deal. It can be tempting if you were here in all of these talks, especially as a single, to hear about marriage and family this week and think that, man, this, is, this seems like the highest emphasis or the highest aim 
And even in all people's church, because of how many kids we have, how many married we have, it can, it can be easy maybe to think and be tempted. Man, it's, it's just, that seems more important. That's, that's the focus. Indeed, marriage and family is part of God's indispensable design for putting his nature and character on display. Yet it is not the highest call of a Christian. Friends, if that were true, Jesus would have failed miserably, right? Remember that our Lord Jesus, the perfect image bearer, and even the Apostle Paul, the leading author and theologian in Scripture, were single throughout their lives. So this simple fact should reorient not just singles, but all of our hearts this evening and help us remember that to be fully human or the best image bearer that we can be does not necessitate marriage or children. I hope that's clear. I hope that's a given in our church family, but I wanted to say it again. And I want to take us to the scriptures which show us that very, very clearly. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 7. Starting in verse 7, where we're going to see Paul show us what is truly the highest call of the Christian. Now, I'm going to read from the NLT here because I think it's, it's really, uh, really unpacks it well. It's really, really helpful. Verse 7, but I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, just note there that Paul is careful to include other categories of of single. He says, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Now, when I read that, it, it gives me pause almost every single time when, because just a little bit earlier in, in Ephesians chapter, or I guess it's a little later in the Bible, Ephesians chapter five, Paul makes this huge point about how marriage is this amazing and, and really the primary picture of Christ in his church on earth. So there's this, this huge emphasis by Paul there, and then it's almost as if he was like in a bad church that week who had tons of bad marriages. He's like, actually, I think it's better if you just remain single like me. Did anybody catch that? Like, I don't think that's what was going on, but man, I've, I'm like, Paul, that seems so contradictory. It, you, you seem to so de-emphasize marriage there to the point of contradiction. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 20. This is a little further down. He gives a lot of instructions to the church here, but I think this is is helping to summarize his point. He says, yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Each of you, dear brothers and sisters, should remain as you were when God first called you. All right, let's stop there. The first thing that Paul wants you to see there is that God's call and our identity in him through the gospel supersedes the roles and identities that we currently have. 
Do you see that? He says, you are, even if you're a slave, you are free in the Lord. You are free in the Lord. He also says, you're a slave of Christ. Even if you're free, you're a slave of Christ. These things supersede the identities or roles that you may carry. God paid a high price for you. You you belong to him. And so what that means for us is that our new identity in Christ enables us to stay in the station that we are in, even if it is unpleasant for us. Because in Christ, we now have a more permanent identity than any other identity. Do you see that there in the scripture? Paul wants you to see that your identity in Christ supersedes every other identity. In verse 29, he teases this out for marriage. Look there with me. But, but let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. This world as we currently know it will soon pass away. With regard to marriage... In all things in this life, we must remember that it's temporary. It is temporary. Paul says the time on earth is very short. Get this, friends. Marriage, family, fatherhood, motherhood, children. These things, they do. They teach us something profound about God and his dealings with us. But these things are penultimate where God is ultimate. Ultimately, these institutions that we're speaking of are training ground for a greater reality. Marriage, family, they're training ground for a greater reality, namely the everlasting kingdom of God. Paul summarizes his point in verse 32 and following. Look there. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. I want to talk about distractions. This morning I came down to open up my Bible. And I'll just, you know, marriage doesn't always mean kids, but it often does. And I have kids, and so I'm just going to talk a little bit about the distractions. <laughs> came down. 7 a.m., down on the bench. I just gotten my kids changed. Was sitting there, opened the Bible. And then I hear, Daddy, I pooped. <laughs> and he keeps, I just, you know, I heard him and I kept my head down. <laughs> he said it again, Daddy, I pooped <laughs> three or four times. I'm just sitting there like, Lord, give me patience right now. I go up there to find it all down his leg and up on the, up on the play set. We cleaned it off. Don't worry, parents. Uh, distractions. 
But Paul says these instructions are for your benefit. He says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best, whether that means marriage or singleness. I love that. God wants you and I to understand that the chief aim of a Christian, whether married or single, is devotion to Christ our Lord. And I love that the Westminster Confession sums it up in that bigger phrase to glorify God, enjoy him forever. And devotion to Christ is part of that. It's, it's having Christ at the center of your life, not the central MC. That was a joke. We are central. Christ is central. That was a flop is what it was. <laughs> I know. I'm, we had to get you there. All right. Paul is not saying here. Paul is not saying here. Hear this, parents. Hear this, married couples. That we ought to slack on our marriage or neglect our kids so that we can follow Christ. But he is saying that it is crucial that we put these things in their proper places. Devotion to Jesus is the highest call of a Christian. I was super helped by Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. He he has a chapter on singleness. And he says that Paul's words in Ephesians 5, in contrast to 1 Corinthians 7, give us what we need to overcome the temptation to either de-emphasize or overemphasize marriage and family. So on the, on the one hand, he explains in traditional cultures, you'll find it, it overemphasized with subtle messages that you're incomplete or unrespectable if you don't have a spouse or a family. And I think sometimes we, we think this in the church when we're looking at all the families, all the children, it, it can seep into our thinking. And I would just say, hear Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 7. He says, I actually wish all of you were single like me. It's just simply not true that you are lesser if you are single. We cannot let that sort of thinking affect us. So the Bible gives us this direction that helps us to not overemphasize the gifts of marriage. On the other hand, in Western culture, it's common to de-emphasize the value and power of these institutions. And I don't want that to be what we do in our church either. I don't want our church to be part of the wave of culture that keeps getting married and having children later and later because we are either so self-centered that marriage will only happen if it fits into our little life plan or because we have been so shaped by a porn culture that we are too perfectionistic to see someone that may make a very good spouse for us. Ephesians 5 challenges us to see the beauty and goodness of God's design for marriage. It's truly a high call. So friends, at the end of the day, God has set up the world in such a way that we cannot function without marriage and family. Literally, life would cease to end if we didn't have marriage and family. Additionally, hear this. The church is dependent on good marriages and families because it provides a tangible picture for us of the gospel. We understand so much about God and even the church because of the family. And the family is dependent on the church to teach us how to be faithful in our God-given roles and purpose as a family until Christ returns. 
So because marriage and family is temporary, as we will ultimately be married to Christ and belong to God's family, we don't want you to have too low a view of marriage and family or too high a view of them either. Instead, we want everyone, both married and single, to pursue Christ with all their devotion because he is our portion and treasure. Amen? We're just saying that. Be thou my vision, Lord of my heart. Love the song. That is the highest call of a Christian. That's the first key question. On to two. Man, I am going slow here. Sorry. Where does a single fit into the household? Where does a single fit into the household? And where does a single fit into the household of God? Let's talk about the household first. This is where it gets a little bit controversial. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do my best to preach this, and I really do ask that you would talk to me if you have questions about the implications of this, or talk to people, uh, your MC leaders, or, or DNA, whatever. But hear this. The question about where you fit into a household, so may, maybe that's your, your family, it depends largely on your gender. Yes, your gender. And I'm aware that I'm not using that polit- in a politically correct way. Every human is either born male or female, equally valuable in every way. And depending on your God-given gender, your path is already partially plotted for you in the family that you grew up in. Ross largely covered some of the differences between husbands and wives, but I just want to point quickly to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23, where, where Paul tells us that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I don't have time to unpack that carefully, but I do want to say simply that I want you to see that God has given men and women particular roles in the family. We see that there. Husbands as the head, wives as those who submit, and both of those things are imaging Christ. Though this describes marriage, I don't think it applies to all men in relation to all women. I need to just make that clear, and I can't go into all that. However, it does speak generally to the idea of roles in relation to your gender. Okay? So in the household, if you were a girl, you were born a daughter. You were born a daughter. And that is beautifully unique in contrast to sonship. You are also a potential sister. And you have the potential of being even a mother who nurtures and helps your husband on the family mission. In your household then, you have the unique opportunity to be trained alongside your mother, if she's a godly one, as she seeks to help her husband lead the family on mission for Christ. And women, this is part of how God intends for you to image him. And that is beautiful. Oh, that God would help us to see that that is beautiful. That it's beautiful. Our culture right now wants to erase every single distinction that exists 
between male and female, but the Bible doesn't allow it. It speaks very pointedly to these things, and God is our definer of truth. Amen? Amen. Similarly, if you are a son, you have unique roles. You are being prepared to take on the family name and the responsibility of a household upon your shoulders if you get married. You get to come alongside your father to learn what it looks like to lead in the household or perhaps in the church if you were qualified at some point. Maybe in other spheres. So as it relates to the family you grew up in, your gender should affect the role you play, whether as the primary leader in training for sons and a potential father or as a helper and a nurturer. That's for a daughter and a mother, generally speaking. I'm speaking gener- some generalization here. I need you to know that I cannot cover everything. So generalization is helpful to, to speak wisdom. So I'm trying to speak generally here. This affects the way your parents should train you, whether you're a son or a daughter. It should also affect the way you plan your future, whether the, whether the career choice or the place you live or the skills that you develop. But here's your ultimate goal, and I've already, I've already said it in, our, in the answer to our first question. The ultimate goal, whether male or female in your household, should be to help your family grow in devotion to Christ and His mission. That is your ultimate role, whether male or female, in those distinct roles, to help your family grow in devotion to Christ and His mission. Now, here's where the church of God comes into play, and I'm so thankful for it because I realize that not everyone is able to stay close to their family and not everyone should. For instance, if your family is abusive or hostile towards your relationship with Jesus. But I will say this. It is especially true in our culture that we are growing further and further removed from the mission of our families at younger and younger ages by virtue of our individualistic culture, our education, and our careers. And for better or worse, the church steps in to that place for us in a profound way. This is the beautiful thing about the household of God. Even as in our culture, more and more people don't feel connected at all to their families, to their household, to the mission that 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 family might have. Yet God has provided us something that is greater I hope, that, I hope that they coincide, but more on that in a minute. Whether you are far from your family or whether they are Christians or not, the Father has welcomed you to join His eternal family. Did you hear me? Our God, the Father, has welcomed us to join His eternal family and to be part of that household. And that is good news for us. We get to find our place and our purpose in it. That leads us to the household of God. Where does the single fit into God's household? It's important to say that in the same way that your gender affects your relationships, your role, your potential roles in the household, it it also has similar implications in the church family. Though equally valuable, you need to hear that, male and female, equally valuable in the household, in the household of God. Equally valuable, equally valuable, equally valuable, regardless of what your role is. (laughs) On the one hand, 
Paul writes in Galatians that in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you, all, you are all one in Christ, meaning that we're all sons of God, we receive the same inheritance in Him, we're all heirs of God. But on the other hand, the Scriptures still put forth an order in the church that is based off of these household roles. It's all over Scripture, you cannot escape it. For instance, 1 Timothy 2.12. This is another controversial scripture. You're welcome. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve. Now, I believe, I can't get into this in depth, I believe Paul is most likely referring here to the office of pastor-elder, whose role in the church includes teaching and exercising authority. So he's saying that that role is not open to a woman there. But notice that he bases his argument for this on the creation order. He says, Adam was made first, then Eve. So, similar to the household, where the man is given headship in the home, we read about that in a second, I mean a second ago, for the sake of sacrificial and loving service to lead his family, Qualified men, including those who, who's mar- who, who manage their own households well, are given positions of headship in the household of God. I think that was a little bit confusing how I framed that. So what I want to say is this. In the household, we see some of those roles, headship in the home, carry over into the household of God. Overseer, elder, pastor is one of those areas. Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I think the same idea could be applied to mothers in the faith here, but, but Paul is speaking specifically as a father to, to his, his children, his spiritual children. But, but Paul here compares his role to a father. He compares his role in discipleship to a father. This is important for us to see. Now listen to his instruction to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5. He says, Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. This is is Paul giving Timothy instructions for how he deals with people in the church. He says, Talk to younger men as you would your own brothers. He says, treat older women, women as you would your mother, and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. So Timothy, who was Paul's spiritual son and most likely single when he received this letter, maybe he was single his whole life, was instructed to interact with the church with respect to these various household roles. If I had time, I could go into lots of other scripture that would show you how the household informs the household of God. And that would be fun. But you guys would be like, it's time to go, Daniel. Right? (laughs) But here's what I want to point out for singles in the household of God. It seems that the Bible calls us, all of us, including singles in this room, To have similar familial relationships within the church. Similar to the relationships we have in the household, in in our families, 
we're to have in the church. Namely, we need spiritual fathers and mothers. Our mentors, our disciplers, those who are helping us grow up in the faith. We also, we need siblings. We need brothers and sisters who will help us, who will exhort us and encourage us to grow in Christ. Further, we need children. We're all called to make disciples. And as we make disciples, we become mothers and fathers in the faith. So what this shows us is that the household is training ground for us. Training ground for the lasting reality of God's forever household, the church. So even if our biological fathers and mothers failed us, we have a heavenly father who has given us in his church godly fathers and mothers who can help us heal and grow in Christ. Amen. He has given us the siblings we need who are not jealous of us, but who strive in love for our flourishing. He has given us the opportunity to make disciples and mother them in the Lord and father them in the Lord. I want to mention another unique opportunity as it relates to singles in the church. And this is going back to 1 Corinthians 7. Paul says, an unmarried man or woman can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. Here's the opportunity. Singles. In addition to to being a father figure, mother figure, a, a, a sister or brother, and a, and a, a father or mother to children, or I messed that up, having fathers and mothers, you have the opportunity, the unique opportunity, to be on mission in ways that people with, that are married and have families do not. You have the opportunity to go into more dangerous and more difficult tasks and places at the drop of a hat. Whereas families can, can and should go on mission, but they must consider the needs of their family as well. Every family here would tell you that that is true. A secondary area that that you have a unique opportunity as a single is this. You get to serve people in a unique way. I know this is not true for every single, but typically there is some more freedom in the schedule. Which means, which means that you have an opportunity to serve struggling moms or the elderly especially those who do not have local family members. I've been such a recipient of that. So many people in our MC have come and served us when our parents are not around, when they're in in other states. And I'll just say this. It's not just for for our benefit. It's not just for the the benefit of, of the mission of Christ. But man, I believe that as we rub shoulders with you, as families rub shoulders with singles, whether for service or for mentorship or both, it can also be a service to you. As you get to watch us in contentious moments in marriage or contentious and troubling moments in parenting where we're totally losing our patience. This has been mentioned this week. And we, we're just, I just want to say again, singles, we had this amazing opportunity with Elise. I know others, others in this church have lived, have lived with families And it's not always some profound conversation that we have. But there's something profound about the opportunity for them to just get to to watch and be with us. And Elise also served us in incredible ways. And we miss you, Elise. We really do. We hope that you'll take advantage of that, singles and families. In summary of this question, singles are essential in the household of God. 
as fathers and mothers in the faith, as siblings who would build up the family, and as more readily mobilized disciple-makers. But this begs an important question. I think some of you would ask, what, what relationship should I have to my family? What relationship should I have with my family? Should it replace my relationship with the church, or should my relationship with the church replace my relationship with the family? Well, I would say this, as a word of wisdom and not a command from the Lord, that I think it's extremely wise to stay connected to your family as much as possible, especially if they are godly and helpful in your journey towards Christ. The goal and prayer of every family should be that we would be a multi-generational family given to to Christ, faithful, devoted to Christ. But even if we have begun a new household, I, I think we should continue to honor and seek the wisdom of our parents and grandparents as much as possible. So that's, that's one element. You should stay connected to your family. I could go into all kinds of other reasons for that. But, but I also want to say this. At the same time, Christ demands an allegiance to him and God's family over our blood families. In Matthew 12, he points to the disciples. He said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So God's family supersedes our blood family because our blood families are temporary. God's family eternal. Church, we need to remember again that our families are training ground for something more lasting and ultimate. Namely, that we would all be one in God's household. And we do pray that that includes our blood relatives and our children. That is the prayer of our heart. So we've covered two questions about a single's devotion to Christ and a single in relationship with the household and the household of God. Now I just want to do some quick hitters in, in, in about five minutes here. First, is singleness a gift? Why or why not? Would you just turn to your neighbor and give them the the little snippet? Go. Is singleness a gift? Why or why not? All right, what is it? What's your answer and why? That's right. We, we, just, we just covered that. So I hope you, I hope you see that in Scripture, that, that there is something unique. And Paul says, that's, that's actually a gift. But here's what I want you to hear. Here's why I'm asking this question that may have seemed redundant. I think some people hear, hey, singles, singleness is a gift. And the single person says, it doesn't feel like a gift. Feels like affliction. When I was... Longing to be married, and I was chasing Kate. Where are you, Kate? <laughs> For five years! Come on! <laughs> I'm not bitter, I promise. No, I got the girl, man. It's so good. Uh, For five years, it didn't feel good. It didn't feel good to be single. It didn't feel like a gift. So 
So I think, I think it's true. Paul means what he said when he said that some people have a special gift from God to remain single for a season or indefinitely for a life devoted to Christ and his mission. However, I think sometimes we talk about it way too flippantly as it being a gift while many people are experiencing it as affliction. They want to be married. They can't find a spouse or they've been divorced or they're same-sex attracted. You know, you, we need to remember those realities. And how do you know if you have the gift of singleness? Has anyone ever asked that question? Any, any single one here ever been like, well, how do I know if that's my gift? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm just, that's been, that was a question on my mind. I think the gift can be a choice. In other words, some people, though they may want to be married, they say, Christ's mission is everything, devotion to Christ. I'm willing to lay down anything for him. And that is so honorable and that is so worthy. And I think that is a gift from the Lord. If he has given you that drive, even if you still would desire to be married, I think that's a gift from the Lord. I think there are also some people that would, they're just so content in the mission. They, they really don't think about marriages at all. It's, it's much more passive than that. It's not as much a constant, you know, push down, like stop, stop thinking about it. I, I'm pressing forward. I think I lost my spot here. Here it is. In the end, if you feel that you can serve the Lord without burning with passion for a spouse, in other words, constantly thinking about it, constantly struggling with purity, that sort of thing, then maybe God has given you the gift. But let me say this, even, even if you feel that you may have a gift to remain unmarried for the sake of Christ and the mission, that doesn't mean that it will always be emotionally easy. I think, I think that there still may be challenges and sometimes there'll be days you wish otherwise and at that moment, I don't think you need to fret and say, what am I, what am I doing? Do I, do I have the gift or do I not have the gift? No, just, just go, to, go, to friend, go to a mentor, go to, go to your brothers and sisters and help them walk with you through the next step. Here, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to be sitting here fit, trying to figure out, do I have the gift of singleness? Maybe I'm only talking to one person in this room, but I, this is for you if it's for you. You don't need to figure out if you have that gift. You also do not need to make a long-term commitment to life singleness either. I did that. Did you guys know that? There was a season in my life where like, I will be single for the cause of Christ. And my friend taps me on the shoulder, an older man. He's like, Daniel, you don't need to say that. Like, he's like, actually, I'm not sure that it's true. He said it very cautiously. But he's like, I don't think that's true of you. You don't need to make that kind of commitment. Maybe consider a season where you devote yourself wholly to the Lord. Maybe that's a year. Maybe it's two years. Maybe it's six months. I still think that's a gift from the Lord. That's worthy. Just consider whatever will help you serve Christ best as you consider this question. A word for those of you who are struggling with singleness. I want you to hear this. God is a good and wise father. He's a good and wise father. Please don't fall into the trap or, or this type of self-criticism that says, man, if only I were more godly or if only I could stop thinking about marriage so much, then maybe he would bless me with, with a spouse. I don't, friends, don't, 
don't be looking inward as if your godliness were, you know, the end goal of that godliness is to find a spouse. Friends, godliness with contentment is great gain for us. And our end goal is Christ. It's Christ. He is our portion. I also want to speak to, to, to anyone in here might, that might have same-sex attraction. Who chooses not to be married because of that attraction. I just want to say that what you do in denying that desire every single day is such a beautiful picture of all that we're talking about. Where you say, Christ is better. He's better than my desires. He's better. He's better. It will be worth it. And I can tell you that every day you do that, God is singing over you with delight. And it will be worth it. So I just say to all of you who are struggling, the pain is going to end. Even if it's not in marriage, the pain will end. So keep your heart fixed on what is lasting. Amen? What if I want to get married and start a family? What should I do to prepare? On the flip side, how do I live faithfully if marriage is not what the Lord has for me? The answer, I asked these two questions together because I think the answers are largely the same with slight differences, but I just want a couple quick hitters here. First of all, belong to a household where you're known. You should never be a lone ranger, and I think this includes being known by the church broadly, but even potentially belonging to one of the many households in the church in some way so they can help you. For example, if your earthly father and mother cannot have influence over your choice of a spouse, Allow fathers and mothers in the church, your mentors, to speak honestly into your relationships and please take their words seriously. Take them seriously like you would a good parent. Godly mentors may also challenge you with the Apostle Paul. Only marry in the Lord. This This is so important for me to say, friends. I have counseled many people who were godly Christians who came to me and they tried to convince me that it was okay to marry an unbeliever. Only marry in the Lord. Your mothers and fathers in the faith, if you're known by them, they're going to say, in the Lord, friend. They're going to help you to see that if our lives are ultimately about devotion to Christ, then marrying someone who lives opposite of that vision is going to make life hard for us. It's going to pull us away from that vision. It's going to discourage us. And additionally, hear this. Godly mothers and fathers in the faith may challenge you if you've been divorced and you're single to consider if it's the righteous thing to remarry. They're going to ask you questions. They're going to say, you got to search the scriptures. Are you allowed to marry? Does God give you freedom to remarry in your circumstance? These are the sorts of things that you'll do if you are in a family and known in a family. Godly mentors, additionally, your mothers and fathers in the faith, along with your brothers and sisters, will charge you to live lives in all purity. To Timothy, Paul writes, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Friends, I know this, this is not, that, that text does not just refer to sexual lust, but I'm just going to go there for a second. I know the struggle there for you. I know how hard that is as a single. I married at 31. 
And I just want to remind you that this is one of the hardest parts, which means that it is one of the easiest ways for us to squander our undivided devotion to Christ. It's one of the easiest ways for singles to squander our devotion to Christ. And I want to say, with all of the God-given spiritual power that He has given you, fight. It's worth it. It's worth it. Christ has promised it'll be worth it. Promise I'm landing, landing the plane now. Singleness is not to be used as a time of extended adolescence, but instead for a focused mission in making disciples as well as focused preparation if you hope to lead a household yourself. That means you don't have to be married to be a leader. Ross was one of our pastors, one of the great gifts that we had. For many years, he was single and a pastor in our family. Know that. Marriage doesn't hold you back. Singleness doesn't hold you back from being a leader in the church. So be qualified and step into leadership. Last word. Further, I believe that singleness is harder for women in the church than, than for single men. Maybe you want to debate me, debate me on that afterwards. I'm fine if you want to come talk to me, William. <laughs> I, don't know if you, I don't know what you think, but I'd love to talk to you about this kind of stuff. For one, women outnumber men in the church by quite a bit. Secondly, consider like Ross taught that men are called biblically to be initiators. There's, there's wisdom in that. So talk to us if you're questioning like, do I always have to be initiated or, okay? But understand my point, men. Don't fall into the culture's slothfulness concerning pursuing a spouse. We gotta lay down our perfectionistic ideas for your spouse And get to it. (laughs) Get to it. Consider if there are any around you who would be commended by your community and who are on the same path of singular devotion to Jesus. And consider joining arms in a journey to following Christ together, making much of Him. Singles, you are valuable in every way. Not only to the household, but also to the household of God. And I just want to charge you to take up this amazing gift that you have to become mothers and fathers in the faith within the church and to link arms with brothers and sisters on mission and to make disciples. If you want to be married, pray and ask the Lord who loves to give his, good, his kids good gifts and keep seeking first his kingdom. Everything else will be added to you, church. One day, all our pain and all our struggle, all our tears will soon be wiped away and everything's going to make more sense. (laughs) That's good news for me. I want to invite the band up as we pray. And we're going to sing one song together.